morning, Strong Tower Bible Church. It's Pastor Chris coming at you on this wonderful day, a day that the Lord has made, and a day for all of us to rejoice and be glad in it. Yes, 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 happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers, and we pray that you enjoyed that presentation that Sister Felicia put together to honor our mothers on this day. And as we prepare for the Word of God, I want to do something that I have never done in my 25 years of pastoring this church and 25 years of celebrating Mother's Day. And that is, I want to preach a, a somber message today, uh, more of a lament than even a sermon today. So I pray that you will allow me to preach a message today entitled, Is There Hope for a Mourning Mother? Is there hope for a mourning mother? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that just as you are in charge of all of the seasons, the Bible tells us that, uh, we know that winter, spring, summer, and fall, or seed time and harvest, are all a result of your sovereignty, of your care, of you allowing the earth and each country, each continent, community to go through various times and seasons. And so, Lord, as we think of what you allow nature to experience, you also allow humans to experience various times and seasons in life. Um, life is not always spring, neither is it always winter, and neither is it always fall or summer. We go through changes, we go through various mood swings, and through it all, you are present, you are faithful, and you are able. And so, Lord, on this day, we know that there are many who are excited and thankful. Many of our moms, Lord, are blessed and so encouraged, whereas other moms and other women are not so encouraged on this day. Lord, remind them that there is a word for them, too. And we thank you that you are the God who joins us in our sorrow. And you are the God who not only causes a lily to grow in the valley, but you are the one who will also take us to the mountaintop. But Lord, before we go to the mountaintop of deliverance, before we go to the mountaintop of joy, thank you, Lord, that we can sit and ponder in the valley of brokenness, in the valley of pain. You are with us in every stage, in every season of life. Help me to preach and teach well. And may your people, especially our mothers who may be mourning, hear a word from you today. I ask all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Is there hope for a mourning mother? My heart is heavy this Mother's Day. And it's heavy for women who have lost children. Mothers who have lost children by death to miscarriage, by death to sudden infant death syndrome, to stillbornness, even abortion. Mothers who have lost children to disease and premature death. Even mothers who went through what I would call unrealized adoption, or women who, through foster care, um, had children taken from them abruptly. And of course, 
mothers who have lost children to violence or even to various accidents. I want to talk to you today in particular, and there's a word for all of us in this message, but I am catering this to mothers who are mourning children that they have never had or children that they have had and lost. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26 says, If one member, speaking of the body of Christ, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So we see as Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, that within a body, that body and every church body, you will have people who are suffering, people who are being honored, and thus rejoicing. In every church, you will have simultaneous suffering and simultaneous rejoicing. All of life is not suffering. Neither is all of life rejoicing. And rejoicing is not just for the spiritual ones. Neither is suffering just for those of us who may feel like we're just going through hard times all the time. No, every Christian goes through moments where we feel like we're being rejected and we feel like we're being honored. We're up, we're down, we're everything in between. And it's okay for us to take a moment and pause and acknowledge those in our body who are suffering, especially our mothers on Mother's Day. You know, being a non-denominational church, we do not follow a liturgy like many of our Episcopalian or Presbyterian brothers and sisters do, where they have a book where all of the sermons for 52 weeks, the scriptures are written in advance and they follow a liturgy. And that's fine and that's great. Um, we follow many times what is happening on the calendar. And so for all of these years, we've always celebrated Mother's Day. We've always celebrated Father's Day since they both fall on Sundays. Um, and so what we're doing, um, God allows us the freedom to address mothers on Mother's Day. And specifically today, as I mentioned, mothers who mourn. Because at this time, America is approaching approximately 75,000 deaths caused by COVID-19. At this time, approximately 75,000 people have died from the coronavirus. And each number represents an actual person. And that person was a mother's child. So sometimes we see these numbers and we can be somewhat detached from them, especially if they don't personally affect us. Uh, if, if no one in our immediate family has passed away, we just see these numbers which climb and escalate every day. And it's easy to separate emotion from those numbers or just think that they are just sheer statistics. But each one of those numbers represents a person who passed away. That means some, some mother's child has died. And I just want to know, has anyone considered what Mother's Day, this coming, this Mother's Day that we're in, has anyone considered what those mothers feel like as they have had to bury their children? And in some cases, not even have a funeral service 
because of the restrictions as it pertains to social distancing. Death is already uncomfortable. And death seems to work best when children bury their parents as opposed to parents burying their children. Skylar Herbert, the five-year-old daughter of two first responders in Detroit, two parents working on the front lines, their daughter Skylar recently died from complications caused by the coronavirus. So no doubt mom or dad or both brought uh, the virus home. And their daughter, who was already uh, suffering under um, certain uh, issues in her body, those things were heightened as a result of the virus, and she passed away. And I just wonder what today feels like for them, what Mother's Day feels like for Skylar's mother today. I'm trying to put myself in her shoes because that's one aspect of mercy. Uh, when, when we're being merciful towards others and compassionate towards others, that means we are going to do our best to vicariously put ourselves in their shoes, in their circumstance, in their situation, so that we can grieve with them, mourn with them, and know how to better pray for them. Um, on Saturday last week, May the 2nd, our dear sister, Tammy Lennox, um, her son Trevin passed away as a young man at the age of 19 after a long battle with leukemia. Trevin also has a brother who serves at Strong Tower, uh, Tanner, who serves upstairs in um, the worship ministry in the sound booth. His brother passed away, and, um, and, and, and it breaks my heart. Uh, because this really hits home. Tammy and her family have been members and have served at Strong Tower for uh, probably two decades. And so it hurts to know of their pain. And I just wonder, what is this first Mother's Day going to feel like for her as she's mourning and trying to understand what God is doing in this, how he's binding up her broken heart and so what, what will this first Mother's Day be for her as a mother who has lost a child? And on Tuesday, May 5th, video footage emerged of Ahmaud Arbery being killed at the hands of two white vigilantes in Georgia. And as we've seen the video footage of him fighting for his life and ultimately being shot and falling down in the street. It makes me wonder, what will his mother, Wanda Cooper, what will Mother's Day, what will this day mean for her? Her son was killed in February and things would have been swept under the carpet and most of us would have not known of this story until the video footage leaked on Tuesday of this past week. And so I wonder as I try to place myself in her shoes, what, what is she feeling? How is she mourning? How is she grieving? Um, what is her mindset today on Mother's Day? And I pray to God that there are people with her trying their best to encourage her. And sometimes we have to do like Job's friends did at first, 
And that is when someone is hurting and someone is mourning, sometimes our presence speaks louder than our words. Because sometimes when we start speaking words and trying to give various platitudes and words of uh, encouragement or even uh, Christian cliches, that, that, that's when we can mess up. So sometimes the best thing to do is to be there and not say anything. Because this woman, Mrs. Cooper, is not only grieving the loss, the violent loss of her son, but she's also grieving all the more because justice has yet to be done in this matter. So we need to keep her in our prayers. And I just stopped by here today to let you know that it's okay for you, Christian, believer, disciple of Jesus, it's okay for you and it's okay for me to mourn and lament on Mother's Day. In fact, it's not only natural, it's biblical, and it's Christ-like. Isaiah chapter 53 says about Jesus that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So how many of us have that model, that vision, that picture of Jesus in our mind's eye of, of a man, though he was God, he was still man, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And this is why I don't like uh, the Bible characterizations of Jesus where he's going around and he's smiling all of the time. I, I don't like that because that's not realistic. No one goes around smiling all of the time. And the Bible lets us know that there were times that Jesus wept and we also know he got angry and here we see in the Old Testament that he understood sorrow and grief. Because how can he be our high priest if he doesn't understand what sorrow is? But since he does know what sorrow is, he can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He's been here fully human and he's gone through all of the seasons and all of the emotions that you and I go through. And that makes him a competent and capable Christ. For all of us. So he knows what we're going through when we're hurting. Therefore as Christians we don't have to manufacture a false joy. A false peace. A false happiness or a fake persona of strength. No, we can be like Paul and say by the grace of God I am what I am. Grace allows me to be confident in God's love for me. To the point where I don't have to put on a air or a hypocrite's mask for you. I can be who I am. Why? Because if God accepts me as I am, shame on you if you don't accept me for who I am or even where I am in this particular part of my journey of life. And so God says he loves you as you are, where you are. And he's the one who is changing and blessing and encouraging us every step of the way. You see, the Christian faith allows for inconsolable lamentation. Everything is not going to be all right on this side. So let us stop telling people it's going to be all right. Yeah, we know it's going to be all right. Uh, I love how the old church would say, Earth knows no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. But some of us, as we'll see in this message, won't experience healing physically, emotionally, or mentally, even materialistically, until we get to heaven. 
So we need to stop lying on God and saying that everything is going to work out right now. We know God is working, but it may not be uh, the way we want it to be right now. Sometimes we do have inconsolable lamentation. So there are many of us who are carrying grief and pain that nothing is going to console us as it pertains to that loss that we have and we still are experiencing. So the Christian faith allows for there to be inconsolable lamentation, righteous indignation, and intentional efforts of justice. So when I think of Miss Cooper today, uh, Brother Ahmad's mother, I pray that somebody is letting her know it's okay to cry. I pray that somebody is there letting her know it's okay to even get angry, to have a righteous disposition, a righteous indignation towards an injustice that was perpetrated against a loved one. When armed men come up to an unarmed black man and demand of him that he answer their questions, who do they think they are? This is the world in which we live in. And she doesn't need to, again, hear some fake Christian platitude to try to make her feel better when she's feeling pain in this moment. Somebody just needs to sit with her and also remind her that it's okay to pursue intentional efforts of justice. And so we're going to do our part here, but not only for this case, but for many other cases that have occurred in our country in recent days. You see, the Bible is full of stories of mothers who mourn over the deaths of their children. We see this during the ministries of Elijah, Elisha, and Jesus, where they ministered to mothers who had children die. And so when these prophets and the Messiah came to these women, came to these families, by the grace of God, they were able to do miracles and see these deceased children come back to life again. The Bible says of these women, especially those in the Old Testament, Hebrews 11.35 tells us, women receive their dead raised to life again. So when Elijah and Elisha was able to raise these dead children, present them back to their mothers, it was recorded in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Great miracles. And of course, we know Jesus raised children from the dead and presented them back to their mothers or to their parents. But, 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 not every story had a happy ending on this side. So once again, our faith needs to encompass a theology of suffering. Because the kingdom of God is not only here, but it's coming. The kingdom of God is now and it's not yet. So we see God do some things now, but he's also going to do some things later. So when we think about children being raised from the dead, that causes some women to rejoice. But that was not Bathsheba's experience. Because when she and David had committed adultery together and she became pregnant with his child, um, the Bible says that God struck the child and the child died. And even before the child died, my memory serves me, 
David interceded for the child, asking God to spare the life of the child. He fasted and he prayed for the child to survive whatever it had been struck with in its body. But God decided to not answer that prayer and the baby died. And Bathsheba mourned. So there are mothers who mourn, who are not fortunate to see a miracle uh, in regards to their child. And so is there a word for the mothers who mourn? Now we know David and Bathsheba went on to have another child. They got married and they had Solomon, who would eventually become king of Israel. But I hope no one told Bathsheba, uh, forget about the child who died because God gave you another child. No, uh, I'm not a woman. I've never experienced uh, what it means to give birth. Uh, I, I, I don't know that personally. So I just have to trust the women in my life and in my world who tell me about the pain of loss. And so I'm sure there was always a place in Bathsheba's heart for the first child that she had who succumbed to an early death. You see, a mother in our church recently wrote a blog about the pain of losing a child. She wrote, and so whether you've lost babies through adoption or foster care, or whether you've lost babies at birth or had miscarriages, whether you've lost babies at six months or 16 years, hugs to you this week. And if no one tells you this weekend, I will. You are a mom. You're a mom even if no one sees it. You're a mom even if no one recognizes it. You're a mom even if no one gets it. You are a mom, and to that I say, Happy Mother's Day. You see, sometimes the best people to minister to us are people who've gone through what we've gone through or what we're going through. Um, and so, so when we have suffered, all the more we become ministers to people who are going through similar suffering. And so it takes someone to go through this kind of pain to remember mothers who are experiencing pain on this day. So there are some rejoicing on Mother's Day. And we say, Happy Mother's Day to you. And then there are some who are mourning on this Mother's Day. And we say that we are here to help bear your burdens today. You see, when Jesus was a toddler, women in Bethlehem mourned and lamented the execution of their male children. You see, the Bible records not only um, the great things, it, it, it records the tragic things as well. And when Jesus was born, his kingship threatened King Herod. Oh, there's nothing like a weak, fragile, political leader because they end up killing a lot of people in order to help their um, um, weak ego. And King Herod had children murdered, two years old and under, in Bethlehem and in the surrounding vicinities in hopes of killing the Christ child, the king of the Jews. But we know that Mary and Joseph took Jesus into Africa, into Egypt, to escape from Herod. But the children who were left behind could not escape. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 18, after this slaughter had occurred, the Bible says, A voice heard in Ramah, 
lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So there were women weeping because their children, their sons, had been taken from them and executed and killed. Toddlers, two years old and under. And the Bible says these women not only wept, but they refused to be comforted. That sounds like inconsolable lamentation. So don't come up again trying to make this go away. No, no. We feel this pain. They felt that pain. And it was inconsolable lamentation. So when Jesus was a toddler, women mourned and lamented. And when Jesus died on the cross, women mourned and lamented for him. And this was so significant that this is mentioned in each of the four Gospels, that there were women who surrounded the cross of Jesus Christ, not only his mother, but other women who had been impacted by his life and ministry. When the men ran away, the women stood strong and mourned. I tell you what, I believe the closest thing to the love of God is the love of a mother. Because mothers shed blood to bring us into this world. Mothers nearly lost their lives to bring us life, to bring us into this world. So when we think about what Jesus has done for us, who is love personified, he shed his blood so that we could be born again. He laid down his life so that we could experience life abundantly and life eternally. So the closest thing to the love of God, in my opinion, is the love of a mother. Now, we know every mother does not love well. We, we know that when my mother and my father forsake me, David said, the Lord will take me in. So his love is perfect. His love is steadfast. But the closest thing, in my opinion, in this life is the love of a mother as pertains to the love of God. And when Jesus died on the cross, those women were there. They were not afraid of the establishment. They were there mourning, mourning, mourning. Mary mourning her son. These other women mourning their savior. And what I want to see today and focus on is that when Jesus goes to Calvary, women mourned and lamented for him. Women mourned and lamented as Jesus was going to Calvary. So read with me for our passage today, Luke chapter 23. I'll begin reading at verse 22. The Bible says, Then he said to them the third time, This is Pilate, Why? What evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him or scourge him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified, and the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested, and he released to them the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison. This is Barabbas. But he delivered Jesus to their will. Verse 26 now, as they led him away, 
they laid hold of a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian. Cyrene is in Libya, uh, which is in northern Africa. They laid on a certain man, an African man, who was coming from the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. Because Jesus is so bludgeoned from having been scourged. He can't carry his own cross. Verse 27. And a great multitude of the people followed him. And women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus turning to them said. Daughters of Jerusalem, do not, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore, and breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in the greenwood, what will be done in the dry. So based on these scriptures, I, I have three questions that have arisen from the text, at, at least three, I'm sure there are many more, and I want to do my best to answer these questions for the time that I have remaining. Um, those three questions are, why were these women weeping? Secondly, what was Jesus talking about? Thirdly, what future hope exists for our mourning mothers. Alright, let's start with number one. Why were these women weeping? We see in Luke chapter 23 verse 27. It says, And a great multitude of the people followed him. And women who also mourned and lamented him. So my question is, why were these women weeping? Why were they mourning and lamenting? Well, some commentators say these women may have been professional mourners. You see, in that culture, there would be people who would show up um, at the home of the deceased or at the grave site, the funeral of the deceased, and mourn. Because sometimes people didn't have family. Um, and so these mourners would come as a gift to the family by being an extension to the family of mourners by mourning and so it was really an act of love but also it was a side hustle because they also expected to get a little bit of money for showing up at these uh, um, moments mourning but I don't believe that these are professional mourners here um, because Jesus hasn't even died yet and so so these aren't professional mourners they aren't showing up at the home of Mary um, they aren't out at the grave of Christ because we know he didn't stay in the grave long anyway to have a bunch of mourners hanging out. I believe that these were women and mothers in the community, dig this, who wept for Jesus as if he were their son. Did you hear that? They were weeping for him. Yes, this was evil. Yes, this was tra tragic. Yes, this was unnecessary. But I believe they were weeping beyond all of those things, but they were weeping for him as if he were their son. They saw the injustice that had been perpetrated against Jesus, and it hurt. They also knew that if this could happen to Mary's son, 
the one who went around doing good and healing all who were afflicted. If this could happen to him, what could happen to their sons? So now we enter into what is known as communal grief. Communal grief. Communal grief is when a certain segment of the population grieves collectively when one of its members is afflicted or in mourning. The feelings of pain, trauma, helplessness, anger, and fear are all common to a particular group. Usually a group of oppressed people have communal grief. What happens to one is felt by all. Mary, in this case, would not suffer alone. These women who were weeping and mourning, they also suffered with her in a communal way. You see, the unjust and eventual murder of Jesus at the hands of the state and by a biased religious establishment triggered trauma and grief in these women. Plus, it is likely that some of their sons was put to death by this same unjust, cruel, and inhumane system. You see, crucifixion was something that the Romans borrowed from the Persians and perfected. And it was an, a, a cruel way to put people to death. And it was used only on non-Roman people. So Roman citizens could not die by crucifixion, which meant that Non-Jewish people like, uh, non-Roman people like Jews uh, could be prone for crucifixion. So therefore, the, the Romans would crucify the Jews as a method to intimidate and to control the populace. So that you would say, I don't want that to happen to me, so I'm going to stay in line. Uh, very much the way lynching uh, would be done upon African-Americans uh, in the beginning of the 20th century here in our country. Uh, the terror of lynching, which we see still goes into the 21st century because it's used to send a message to the oppressed that you need to stay in your place. So when the bodies were left hanging, once again, it was to send a message of intimidation to the people as well as it was meant to humiliate them and to show who had the power. And so it's, it's not unlikely that some of these women who were mourning for Mary and Jesus had also experienced a similar fate with their own sons. So that's what communal grief is all about. Sabrina Fulton, who is the mother of Trayvon Martin, the unarmed 17-year-old boy who was shot and killed in 2012 by George Zimmerman, she started what is called the Circle of Mothers. And this is a weekend retreat for mothers who have lost a child to gun violence or some kind of injustice. She found her healing by helping other women to heal. So last May... More than 100 mothers attended this retreat. The mothers of Michael Brown, Tamir Rice, Sandra Bland, Oscar Grant, Eric Garner, Jordan Davis, and Gwen Carr. 
they attended. Um, Tupac Shakur's mother, Afeni Shakur, attended and was a speaker at one of the conferences. And so Trayvon's mother said, I needed this gathering, and I knew they did too. Who best knows what a bereft mom feels? So we see here, these women were weeping and mourning. Because they felt for Jesus. They felt for Mary. They may have even felt this pain themselves uh, personally. And so they had communal grief. There's weeping. There's mourning. Um, and, and I find it also interesting, before I move to the second point, that in a crowd where a man is being led to the cross where he will be executed, and there are women weeping, there are also some in the crowd gloating. There are some in the crowd who are happy that this man is dying. The, the, the men who perpetrated and set it up where Jesus would go through these false trials. Uh, we know God was in control sovereignly. But I just think of the fact that when we see horrific things that happen in our culture, and it hurts some of us, not all of us, and there are some who will question why you feel the pain that you feel. And, and you're like, where is your heart? Um, again, if one part hurts, we all should hurt. Doesn't the Bible talk about bearing one another's burdens, even if it's not your burden? Isn't that what Christian love is all about in this so-called Christian nation? But I can't worry about other folk. I got to look at myself and say, Lord, how am I being your hands and your feet? How do I show your love? To those especially who are hurting. Well secondly. What was Jesus talking about? <laughs> because there are times I read stuff in the Bible. I'm like what does this mean? So you're not the only one okay? So when Jesus says what he says. I'll, I'll read it in verse 28. He says. Uh, but Jesus turning to them. He said. Daughters of Jerusalem. Do not weep for me. But weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore, and breasts which never nurse. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? So once again, I'm like, Jesus, what does this mean? So as we do inductive Bible study, we realize that Jesus, as he is marching towards Calvary, towards Golgotha, the place of the skull, no doubt with entrails coming out of his body as a result of the scourging and the lashing that he received at the hands of the Romans, dripping in the spittle of those who abused him and maligned him, crown of thorns on his head, and he's walking behind Simon of Cyrene, and he says this riddle. Well, this riddle to us was a word that was clear to the Jewish people found in the Old Testament book of Hosea, chapter 10, verse 8. And so here Jesus is quoting the word on the way to hang on the cross. And when he quotes this, he is saying that judgment would come upon the nation for rejecting its Messiah. There will come a time when those, Jesus says, who never gave birth will be better off than those who did give birth. 
Because in that culture, many times, women's worth was attributed to having children. And so there were women, especially married women, who wanted to have children, but for some reason they couldn't have children. And they were scorned and looked down upon in that culture. But Jesus is going to say the script is about to be flipped because there's coming a time where if you don't have a child, you have a benefit over people who do have children because those folks are going to have their children slaughtered. So in this message, Jesus is saying to the Jews that the green wood is the time that I was with you, a time that is plenteous, a time that is fruitful, a time that is fresh and alive, the green wood. So if you're doing this, rejecting the Messiah and putting him to death while he's here in this green season, what's going to happen when the season is dry? When the, the trees aren't green, but they are dry. And so what Jesus gave them was a prophetic word. And this word has a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. The near fulfillment speaks of what will happen to Jerusalem in A.D. 70 when the Romans would crush the people of God. Uh, uh, and Jesus, as he prophesied, not one stone on the temple will be left standing. So they're going to destroy the temple. They're going to destroy the, temp uh, the people. They're going to lay siege on Jerusalem in AD 70 and 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 that's what Jesus talks about because Emperor Titus when he crushed Jerusalem he he besieged it first and he he stayed around the city walls to the point where once again inside the people struggled struggled with starvation they couldn't go out to get things to eat so they ended up taking things from other families and even eating children we see this as a theme throughout scripture where people turn to cannibalism in extreme times. So mothers had their children taken away from them and even boiled and eaten. And history tells us that this happened in A.D. 70 when Jerusalem fell to Rome. But there was also a far fulfillment to what Jesus said, not only near, but also far. And this leads me to my third and final point. What future hope exists for our mourning mothers? As I mentioned, Jesus, he saw past A.D. 70 into the days leading up to his second coming. And this time uh, would be a time of unparalleled suffering to the point where it would be called the Great Tribulation. And it's also known as in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, the time of Jacob's trouble or Israel's trouble. So God is going to use persecution, intense persecution, to get the attention of Israel, as he always has done, so that they may receive the Messiah that they have by and large rejected. And so this is going to happen in the end times. This is the far fulfillment of the Lord's prophecy. And this language that Jesus quotes from Hosea chapter 10 about having mountains fall on the people um, as, a, as a way of trying to escape the persecution from the Romans and even in the future from the Antichrist. We see this language found in Revelation chapter 6. I'm trying to talk to you about what hope do mourning mothers have. Well, hold on, I've got some hope coming for you. 
the Bible says in Revelation chapter 6, verse 15, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand. So this is before Jesus returns and there's mayhem all over the earth. And we are in the last of the last days. We are in tribulation, but we are not yet in the great tribulation. And so Jesus is on his way. But before he comes, people are like, oh, may the mountains fall on us. Oh, we, we thought Rome was something. But when Jesus comes back, my goodness. And so this is when people who are alive need to repent. You need to repent. And so we see the language there. But it doesn't end there. Revelation chapter 7, beginning at verse 9, because before things get better, they have to get a whole lot worse. Okay, and, that, and that's sad when we think of the end times. And what we just read in chapter 6, that's bad. But I'm going to give you something good right now as we close this message. Revelation 7 verse 9 says, And after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, people, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more, meaning that some of them may have died from hunger or um, dehydration. The sun shall not strike them because they were probably homeless, nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This means that some people, especially during that time, and especially mourning mothers, will enter into heaven with excessive sorrow, unparalleled pain, insurmountable loss, and unresolved conflict. Why do I say that? Because there will be people in heaven who will get there through tragedy, through tribulation. And even while they're in heaven, they're going to have to have a moment to cry. They're going to have to have a moment even in heaven to emote. And God knows that. Which is why the Bible says he will wipe away every tear from their eye. So they'll get to heaven. We'll get to heaven with pain. 
unresolved pain on this side. And the master will minister to each one of us personally, individually, uh, passionately, um, very preciously. He, he will take time with each one of us. So mothers who lost children during that season, mothers who lost children during every season, they have a sweet and kind savior who knows every tear that is in their heart before it even manifests through their eyes and he's going to wipe them. God will wipe every tear from every eye of every mother who ever mourned the death of a child. He'll do that in heaven. Isn't that good news? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that kind? Isn't that sensitive? Oh my God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So on that day, God will truly turn everyone's mourning into dancing on that day. So therefore, you have hope, sister. You have hope that in the future, if not now, but definitely in the future, God is going to minister personally to you to the point where he's going to wipe every tear from your eye. I pray that you be encouraged to know that and to believe that today. One of my favorite songs for Mother's Day is by Boys to Men and it's called A Song for Mama. And in this song, one of the lyrics says, Mama, you're the queen of my heart. Your love has wiped tears from the stars. Wow, what wonderful poetic imagery to speak of how a mother's love even ministers beyond her children to the stars themselves. But mothers, can, can, can I encourage you with this? Yes, you are wiping tears, not only from your children, but from the stars. But the one who made the stars and flung them into space and told them to stay there and named each and every one, that one is going to one day wipe the tears from your eyes. And I pray that you will be encouraged knowing that he knows. And he is and he will bind up every broken heart that has ever existed from the beginning of time. And he will take time with you and wipe those tears from your eyes. Oh, I pray that you're encouraged today. Yes, Jesus, on his way to Calvary, women wept in that day. Women weep and mourn in our day. But there's another day that's coming where there will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain because it will all be swallowed up in the ultimate victory of the new Jerusalem as we stand and live forever with Jesus. I pray that you're encouraged by these words today. Well, Strong Tower Bible Church, it is time for us to receive the benediction. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. And it's according to the power that is working within us. To him be glory, majesty, dominion, and power in the church and forevermore. And all of God's people said, Amen.